the supernatural as something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. The silent assassin is not with us tonight. I don't know what's going on. He just sent me a message saying he didn't think he was going to be joining us tonight on the air, but that's okay. We say hello to him wherever he is. Yeah, he's got some stuff to do. Well, we're, we are going to have a little bit different show here than we normally have. Uh, normally on Spooky South Coast, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And tonight we're going to talk about, you know, I, I didn't want to do this, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I really didn't want to do this. I figured we're a paranormal show, and this is kind of out of the realm of what we deal with. And that was why I haven't blogged all week long on WBSM.com, because I, I just felt like uh, with all that was going on here in the Boston area and, and pretty much across the, the country, uh, the eyes of the country were on us all week, and I, I felt like it wasn't really the time to talk about ghosts, if you get what I mean. Yeah. It, it just seemed like, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit too serious of a time to talk about something that a lot of people think of as a frivolous topic. And I know that everybody that's out there that's a fan of this show and is an avid listener of this show, you feel like the paranormal is a legitimate pursuit, and I agree, but I just felt like you know, for taste reasons and for, for reasons of uh, just my own comfortability. I I didn't want to be spending the week talking about ghosts. And I know a lot of people wanted us to come on the air tonight and talk about the same things that we always talk about each week and to have it be a little bit of a, a change of pace from what you've had to listen to on the radio all week long. And that's kind of the way that I wanted to go too. But I started getting messages from our friends and our listeners and our fans and people that we've come to know over the years from across the country and across the world wanting us to address this because they know us as being the quote unquote Boston area, you know, paranormal show. And I felt like we had to share with them what it meant for us over the course of this past week because it really did strike close to home for both of us, uh, especially considering, you know, we're 40 miles out of Boston. I mean, you work in Boston, of course. I technically work in Cambridge, yeah. Yeah, true, yeah, in Cambridge. But uh, but still, you know, you're there every day. I'm there all the time for my job. Yep. Uh, but we do live outside of Boston. So uh, throughout the course of the week, I, I thought to myself, you know, this isn't us. This is far enough away from us that I, I feel like we don't have to address it. And then everything changed. Everything changed yesterday morning because when the news came out, all of a sudden it struck a lot closer to home. And I started having some, some realizations that this goes beyond uh, just something that we can tuck away in the corner and ignore and say, you know, that's not us. We're not the news show. You know, that, that's not what we handle. This has to be addressed. And so reluctantly... I go into tonight saying, you know, we will share our thoughts and feelings on the course of the week. And, and you know, we don't have to spend the entire show on it, but uh, we will talk about it. And we do want to hear your thoughts, uh, especially people who are around the country who 
were sending me messages, you know, are you guys okay? Not realizing that, you know, we were not immediately in the blast area. We weren't, you know, in Watertown. We weren't anywhere near the action that was going down when it was. Uh, but they they still feel like we're the Boston show. And I don't know. I guess we are. Yeah, we're probably the largest in our our topic in the area. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. And I just adjusted the wrong camera. Okay. <laughs> so if you're watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, I just adjusted the wrong camera. But I, I don't know. Chris Balzano is going to join us uh, tonight, and he's going to share his own thoughts that he has on this. And, uh, and I noticed, too, that we've lost the, the wide shot cam. Yeah. But we'll make do. And uh, we'll just keep going back and forth. Don't be afraid to put your close-up shot on either, Matt. I know that uh, you don't like to do that, but I like to have the camera not on me from time to time. But uh, Chris will join us, and, and he'll share his thoughts with us. And I, I don't know. It's just I want to hear from people. I do. I want to hear what they think, and I, I want them to be able to kind of get uh, some feeling of catharsis from from talking about it here on the show, but at the same time, I'm just I'm going into this very reluctantly. I'll say that again because um, it's, it's not that I don't think that we can't do hard news if we have to. I just don't think that it's our place. And I'm towing the line here and wondering how many people that are listening to the show right now uh, want to hear about anything other than this. And and maybe that's our job too. But some people thinking that I've chewed on this bone all week and I want a flavor of something different. This is why we're tuning in. Are you saying that there are some people looking to basically escape, you know, what what has happened and delve into the unknown and, you know, a little bit of brain candy for a while, so to speak? Yeah, and I think, you know, even, you know, sports is supposed to do part of that, but sports has been so infiltrated with this story this week, uh, and just an amazing, amazing ceremony today from the Red Sox. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of it, but uh, no. I'm going to try and pull up the David Ortiz audio a little bit later on, because uh, I guess the FCC is giving us all a pass, <laughs> from what I read on Twitter. So uh, I'll, I'll save that since you haven't heard it. With our luck. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, if, if we get in trouble, it's worth it for this. So uh, maybe we'll play that a little bit later on. And, and, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll hit the dump button at the right time <laughs> if I feel like I have to. But like I said, when the news started coming out yesterday, uh, when they had the pursuit of the suspects Thursday night into Friday morning and the story started to coming out about the identities of, of who these uh, terrorists, and, and that's what they were, when those stories started coming out, it it became to me, you know, I, I'm not exactly a news junkie, but when something like this goes on, I, I have to stay tuned because I have to pay attention to all the developments. And in doing so, I found a whole new avenue uh, for getting my fix for the news as it happens. I've kind of abandoned the network news on television. Uh, on radio is a little bit different. I find that on radio, it, it the updates are coming a lot more constantly uh, than on television. But I turned to Twitter and I'd never really done that before. I, you know, I've paid attention to Twitter during games, during sporting events, the Super Bowl, things like that. You know, that that's usually what I use Twitter for, for entertainment purposes, not really to get my news because 
so many, first of all, the people that I follow on Twitter, you know, they're like me. They're not exactly tweeting hardcore news. They're, they're sharing opinions and thoughts about things. And it's about sports or the paranormal or what have you. But it became fascinating to me how much news was hitting Twitter first and taking a significant amount of time to get on the air of the radio stations. And I understand it's because they're fact-checking. But when a tweet is coming out from the Boston Globe, then why can't a network news station say, you know, the Boston Globe is reporting? You know, the Boston Globe tweeted. It's almost like there's uh, like a bias against it because they're not the ones to have it. That's the thing. Everybody wanted to be first. And it blew up in their faces. Oh, that's a bad. I'm sorry. I, I'll take that back. But everybody tried to be the first ones to the story. And what ended up happening is not only were they getting scooped, but at the same time, they were stuck in a very uncomfortable period of nothing but conjecture. And if there's anybody who comes out of this uh, imprinted in the public brain from the news coverage over the last week, it's Jack Williams of Channel 4. Because did you pay attention to Channel 4 at all? I jumped around from channel to channel uh, all right jack we all know for those who aren't who familiar with the area jack's old okay he's been around forever since the 70s and i guess at some point he decided he just wasn't going to hold back anymore and that's that's what he <laughs> that's really what he did he 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 just spoke his mind but part of that was because you had these first of all i mean they were on 24 hours a day uh, throughout the week, and, and it seems like poor Jack never got out of the Channel 4 newsroom. But, you know, you've just got all this stuff coming out and just random filler. People just making up the story as, as they went along, and and I think that that's part of the, the problem with the news media. In some cases, when they were running around Watertown, some of the news people wound up being part of the story. When they got True. caught in that crossfire and stuff like that. You know. And there's a general rule of thumb here in the media. And uh, and I'll say, Chris, I see Chris is in the chat room. So, Chris, you, you know the VIP line number. Just call in whenever you want. Uh, but there's kind of a, a, I don't even know, it might even be a written rule. So I don't want to say an unwritten rule. But in the media, you don't put yourself in the story. You know, you're supposed to be reporting on the news. You're not supposed to be part of the news. And I don't blame the reporters because the reporters are kind of giving their own eyewitness account. But it's it was amazing to me, especially CNN, how much they insisted on putting themselves into the story. How much it had to be, you know, CNN first on the scene. CNN only wants to get this close to the suspect when they're taking him into custody. And it just it, it kind of sickened me, uh, the turn that it took, because it r- literally became like an episode of the newsroom on HBO where it's. You know, it's it's about having it for... And even in the newsroom, you know, it's idealized a bit. So they do, you know, check their facts and, and get sources behind them. But uh, I, I just felt like a lot of the news stations out there didn't do themselves any favors uh, with their coverage of this. But that's completely beside the point. Uh, what did strike me as, as interesting was as these rumors were popping up online... On Friday morning, you know, I'm sitting there at my day job, which I have you know, zero internet signal on my phone, but I'm sitting there like trying to get Twitter to update, trying to get Facebook to update, trying to find out whatever information I can 
before the radio was reporting it. And the story comes out that uh, Johar mm-hmm. was a UMass Dartmouth student. And I don't know if this was ever confirmed, but one of the reports that I heard was that uh, as they were trying to decide you know, when he was on campus, of course, we, we found out that he was on campus the next day and that he was there throughout the week. But one of the stories that was out there that proved that he had been on campus was that his student ID had been swiped going into the athletic center on Tuesday evening to go into the gym and work out. Tuesday evening, I was at the UMass Dartmouth pool in the athletic center with my eight-year-old son for his swim lesson. So I was 100 yards from the son of a bitch while he was there. And when I heard that, it was like any walls I had tried to put up between myself and the story kind of all came crashing down. You know, it was similar to what I, kind of the first crack in that wall came uh, when I texted you at 5.30 in the morning on Friday. Yeah. When I told you, you know, these bastards were right across the street from where you work. Yes. The cop that was shot was right down the street from where I work. Yes. And so any kind of insulation I tried to put into it, it just fell down. You know, and again, as I said, I, I never did have confirmation about what the time frame was uh, from when he was on campus. But just knowing that he was there, that he was 20 miles from our house. that And I say our house, but yeah. I mean, our individual houses, we don't live together. I don't want to start any rumors. But the uh, even now, like... Think about it. He could have been somebody who listens to the show. You know, for all we know, there could have been a bunch of people in the dorms on Saturday night that turn us on and laugh at us because, you know, they're like, listen to these crazy nuts. I mean, we could be a drinking game. I wouldn't be surprised. And if there is one involved, I would like to like to sit in. Yeah, exactly. Let us know so that we can join in on the fun. But uh, it just... Uh, it it just got too close. And then, of course, last night, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you here. Watching some of the streets they were going up and down, knowing we've been up and down them doing events up there? Well, not only that, but I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, I'm, I'm supposed to be writing a Celtics column for today's Standard Times, and I decided to have the TV on as I was writing. And as they got closer to apprehending him, I just became so engrossed in that that, the story kind of fell by the wayside. And I started getting emails <laughs> from the editor saying, you know, we're waiting for you for the cover. Okay, sorry. So I had to kind of refocus in and get that done. But I had the TV on. I had Twitter open. I had Facebook open. I had uh, my cell phone right next to me. I had, and then I discovered the fact that you can listen to the Boston police scanner over the internet. And so I had that on as well. And I became so engrossed in it that that's, that's all I did for the rest of the night. And again, as I said, I'm not somebody who is a, a news junkie. I just like to pay attention when something's going down. And to sit there and follow along with it minute by minute, it just it, it blew my mind. And it blew my mind that we can live in that kind of uh, world now that we had friends of ours, listeners to the program from across the country who were asking for updates of what was going on because they weren't getting uh, the most frequent updates. 
So they were asking me what was going on, you know, what's going on on your local news, and I was able to direct them to that broadcast of, of the Boston Police Radio. And some people, you know, didn't really do what they were supposed to do. I don't know if you're familiar with what was going on, Moniz, but the... You know, the law enforcement officials were asking for people not to post up the information of what Correct. was going on. And, yes. and a lot of people were. So I was very conscious of the fact that I'm in the media and I need to obey that rule. So I couldn't really be posting up what was going on. So I was just kind of letting people know where they could go and, and find out anyway. Um, so it just, as much as I tried to insulate myself from the story and try to say, you know, it... it it happened close to home, but not close enough to home for me to, to be that concerned. It, I can't say that anymore. You know, they're taking suspects, uh, people into custody for questioning uh, here in New Bedford. And there was a rumor that he might have been here. And that's why they were sending the SWAT teams down into that neighborhood. You know, and that's immediately what starts getting reported. You know, people start saying, I just saw him on the street, you know, an hour ago. And... Rumor turns into news, but it's just, it, it was fascinating to me to follow along with this whole thing. And, and I feel almost like, like we own this story more than we ever could have, uh, before all this stuff existed. I agree. I mean, I have my own personal dealings with the, uh, aftermath of the explosion, uh, because, when I went in on Monday, it was Patriots Day, and a lot of Boston was already closed down. I got into uh, Charlestown because my brother-in-law was, works there, and uh, we basically just flew right into Boston very early and expecting traffic, and there really was none. So I hopped on the train, went into work, and uh, on my way home, because I got out early, I was on the subway just moments after the explosions went off. And where, and you know where I am on the red line, mm -hmm. up in basically Kendall Square. Uh, by the time I got down to uh, Park and Downtown Crossing, they already had uh, those... Uh, stations closed and everybody was being dumped into South Station. And my train arrives to a platform full of people all crying and screaming and number of people covered in blood. And that's basically how I found out how the, you know, how, how this all happened merely moments ago. And I had tickets to go to see Fleetwood Mac Thursday night in Boston and work commitments came up. So I was unable to go. So, uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to sell the tickets and we sold them to somebody who is a friend of ours that we knew would enjoy the show. And I met up with him on Sunday to, to let him have the tickets. And he told me that he was going to the Red Sox game. He was taking his eight year old son or it might be seven, but he was taking his young son to his very first Red Sox game on marathon Monday. And he's asking me, you know, where where can I park up there? And I said, you're not going to be able to park anywhere near there because, uh, you know, it's going to just be ridiculous. And uh, so, yeah, it does that. It comes back on from time to time. <laughs> so uh, I, I told him, I said, you, you know, you're better off 
trying to take public transportation. I don't know what he did, uh, but I know that he was talking to me about going to the game and then maybe going over to the finish line uh, to see whoever was coming through at the time after the game was over. And I was telling him about Rick and Dick Hoyt and that they might be coming through. And I was telling him about all the different, you know, charity runners that usually finish up around the time that the game is over uh, and and people that they could go cheer on. Uh, Because I've I've had the pleasure of interviewing Dick Hoyt a few times. And uh, it's just an amazing story. And so I told him, you know, that's who you want to go see. And so I was very concerned that they were there. And so I immediately texted him. I didn't hear back. And I was like, oh, I just hope that nothing happened. But, you know, thankfully his wife posted up on Facebook a little bit while, a little while later that they were okay. Uh, And actually what had happened was his son got tired and they decided that they didn't want to stay. So they went home early. So, you know, I'm sure as, as a dad trying to bring his son to his first game, he was probably upset when his kid wanted to go home early and say, come on, I paid, you know, all this money for these tickets and you want to go. But looking back, it's probably the best thing that they could have done. Uh, So, and then, of course, yesterday morning, you were, I don't know if you were already on your way to work or getting ready to leave, but... Just about to hop on the highway, yeah. And I assume that, you know, you you ended up not having to go in. Yeah, my work basically was part of, you know, parts where it were were closed down. The whole area was closed down, obviously, through this investigation and stuff like that. So my work sent out a, uh emergency email to everybody saying, stay home, stay out of the city, just come back on monday so and uh i guess there's there's it's just amazing to me that people obeyed those orders as much as they did you know i i just assume there would be somebody who would you know rail against having to be basically in lockdown uh and and decry you know how their their freedom is being taken away and they should be able to go out on the street if they want to but you know, thankfully nobody did that. Everybody cooperated, and it worked out for the best. All right, well, let's bring in Chris Balzano because we have him sitting there on the line. And let me turn on this too. Hello, Chris, are you with us? Hey, Tim, how are you, Matt? What's going on? Same old brother. It's been a while since we've we've spoken to you. How how have you been? I I've been good. I've been good. I've uh, uh, just been living large down here in Florida <laughs> until this week. You know. Right, and I'm sure that you're not the only Boston area transplant down there either. No, no, it, you know, and it's and it's um, it extends because especially on Monday, the the marathon being a you know a global event and definitely a New England uh, event, there were enough people that were from Rhode Island that are from Connecticut um, who you know that's that's the first thing we said when we saw each other on Tuesday. Um, hey, all your people, are they okay? Um, and so, you know, there were, there were a lot of people um, who were needing someone to talk to um, and needing someone to, to vent about and someone to process with here because they knew people. Um, you know, this is, I, I work right next to Fenway South. I mean, this is, you know, this is, this is little New England here <laughs> in Fort Myers, Florida. It's definitely a, a part of, of an extension of, of what's going on there in New England. And so, you know, it was it was comforting to be able to find people to talk to because, you know, it's it's very odd that um, this was not the topic of conversation uh, at the water cooler, if you will. Mm-hmm. There were not a lot of people who were not in New England uh, talking about this, and I was kind of baffled by that. 
Uh, and granted, it was an odd week where I was. We had, you know, our, our, our standardized testing, which unfortunately interfered with a lot of my <laughs> being able to follow up on things, especially on, on Friday, when all I wanted was information. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, there, we, we were able to find comfort with each other, which is, which is why I think that, you know, it, it's good that you're doing this show. I know that, that you were debating doing it and debating um, Spooky South Coast Place uh, on this landscape. Uh, and one of the things that I that I posted in the, in the chat room was, you know, this this is a community itself, um, and this is a community that relies on each other to talk about things. There, are, I think there are people who um, write things down physically or mentally uh, to bring up. There's news that happens, and they want to know what Spooky South Coast um, thinks about it. And if it's something, you know, like a bill passing legislation or something like that, you know, that that that's not really something that touches our universal soul, right? Unless it pertains think, to, you know, our hauntings or UFOs or something. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to know, you know, what you know, what do you think about this news clip that came across about this, you know, Bigfoot hoax or something like that. But I, I think that this story was big enough uh, and touched us enough that um, people need Spooky South Coast to talk about it because that's an extension of, of who they are. And, and, you know, we're constantly reminded... Uh, about that, how much this show does touch people, and so I, I think I think it's it's right to be doing this show tonight. Well, again, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that you say that people weren't really talking about this because uh, you know there were a lot of comparisons over the course of the week to nine eleven, and obviously it's not on the same scale of of the destruction caused uh, by the the two planes, but. At the same time, it's still it's an attack. Well, that's true, but still, it's an attack on the country. Whether it be, you know, and we didn't know we didn't know if it was internal or external at the time, but the fact that it can be avoided in conversation like that gives me a little bit of concern. That you know, have we become kind of used to the fact that we're targets now? Right, right, and, and you know, it, it's 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 a. Uh... You know, what is important to people, most of the people that I was in conversations with, uh, it was almost an uncomfortable thing of like, oh, are you people okay? Okay, well, now let's talk about something else. Um, although, you know, like I said, initially that concern was there. I was most impressed by uh, dozens of my students asking me, but also former students who went out of their way uh, to to come to, you know, kids that are now in the high school coming to, like, our little section of the middle school being like, hey, Mr. Balzano, is everything okay? I know you're from Boston. So it was oddly enough the, the kids who were, who were much more uh, in tune and starving for knowledge, and they weren't getting it, um, which is why, you know, who knows whether I'll have a job on uh, <laughs> next week uh, if parents have issue with it. But, you know, we were listening to uh, the radio. We were listening to the radio and listening to... Um, you know, not to mention other station, but EI, because it was the only thing we could get because our, our streaming was so horrible because we had every single computer was taking this stupid big test. Um, and these kids were not um, not frightened. They were confused. Um, and they, you were talking about Twitter earlier, they didn't know what was truth, what wasn't truth. They didn't know how to distinguish between those things. Um, and no one was giving that to them. Um, so I said, whatever, okay, we're, you know, we, I was stuck with my homeroom for two hours because of lockdown, because of the testing, not because of anything related to this. Right. And, uh, and I said, all right, go ahead. 
what do you guys want to know? What ask? What do you want? And there's things ranged everything from how you know how do you make a a bomb out of a pressure cooker? Like I don't even know what a pressure cooker is. To um, you know, to well, why are we being attacked? Why do people hate us so much? You know, it's something that would be a, a classic episode of some TV show that's like, you know, on a very special episode of Balvano's Homeroom. Um, and yet these kids were starving for the knowledge, and and I felt it was my job to do it. So I don't know if some parents are going to be upset that I did that, but in in my opinion, it was it was what was needed by me at that moment because I needed to um, I needed to share what was going on inside my head. Sure. Um, and then also for them, you know, they, these are hard kids. These are the ones that are making decisions in five, six, seven years. Uh, and I didn't feel like I could let those questions lie. When it got inappropriate, I was able to stop it. You know, we were listening to, uh, to some popular morning DJs on that radio station who very quickly wanted to make it about, uh, about nationality and race and religion. And I was like, okay, kids, at this point we need to shut it off. Right. And that was just like, okay, well, now that that's off, let's talk about this having to do with it. And, and so that was my way to, um, to be able to communicate and be able to get things off my mind. Just on a, on a lighter note, you know, you mentioned the, the pressure cooker bombs and a friend of mine, I was talking to him about this uh, earlier this week and, and he said, you know, I've, I've never heard of such a thing of making bombs out of pressure cookers. And I was like, yeah, me either. And he's like, so, uh, so what I did is I Googled it and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's like, no, no, I did. I was like, you Googled how to make a pressure He's like, I said, what did you type into Google? He's like, I typed in how to make a pressure cooker bomb. I was like, man, you do realize that even though, yeah, even though it's in the privacy of your own home, like the internet is not private. Right. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I said, you know that like they're monitoring the internet and anytime anybody types in <laughs> how to make a pressure cooker bomb, you know, you're probably uh, setting yourself up there. But so. I think that I think that you feel safe that a lot of people were doing it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I told yeah. him. I said I'm sure you're not the only one that was wondering how that would work. Um, but it's all in the language, you know, that you use when typing into, you know, how to how, how to make a pressure cooker bomb and stick it in a backpack. But probably not the best thing to Google search for uh, this week. But anyway, uh, when when you're sharing this with those kids, I mean, what was because these kids that you have. Uh, just doing some quick math in my head, you know, they were really young when 9-11 happened. Right. So to right. them, it's kind of this abstract, you know, uh, part of history more than it was an experience that they lived. So what what was kind of their reactions to uh, the fact that, that people would want to do this? I think their, their reaction was, is this something that's going to happen here? Um, and I think that their their other reaction was, I just don't get that. Like, why would you want to kill like people? Why would you want? Why would you want to? Um, why would you want to put something in motion that's going to hurt people that bad? Um, or, or more importantly, because I don't feel many of them are connected to anything. They want to know how you could believe in something so much that you would then go out and destroy something else. Um, and that's that's really kind of what the discussion was. Um, you know, and and, uh, and to be honest with you, it's. It, these kids are much more um, connected to school shootings. Um, they're much more connected to, um, to to things that are part of their world and obviously more current. Um, you know, nine eleven to them is abstract as the hostage situation would have been to us in you know growing up in the eighties. Right. 
um, and, and so far out of the outside of their realm, and yet something they're constantly um, inundated with, but have no real understanding of. Um, you know, to them, Bin Laden was was on the plane. You know, I mean, just those the the, the themes and the concepts are so blurred that it, it just becomes um, this bad thing happened. Saddam Hussein was on one plane, Bin Laden was on the other. You know, and and that's not you know that's not just stupidity or you know something like that. It's more of this kind of like mixture of it, and you know this kind of hearing buzzwords and hearing um, and hearing uh, these things that's kind of thrown together until they come become a mosh, as opposed to being like, no, I was you know I was living in Boston when it happened. I was you know I was working in a in, in a jail, and the kids were like, we all want to escape, not because you know we want to see our families, but because we don't want to die here with these we're going to be blown up like that real tangible kind of the, the America is being attacked feeling. They didn't have the America was being attacked feeling. They just didn't know why people were attacking that specific place, you know, at that specific time. Hmm. You know, and, and as an extension of that, I run a photography class um, and we have to be doing photojournalism. And, um, and, it, and you know, everything that you guys were talking about earlier really struck upon because, once again, I didn't shy away. Uh, and it was like, okay, you know, here's, here's the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. Here's the cover of Time this week. Is this appropriate? Is this not appropriate? You know, we were, li- we were looking at it. It was funny. We were looking at 9-11. I showed them pictures of 9-11. I showed them, you know, you can still get the Herald um, uh, cover online. And we were discussing, the, you know, the, the, whether that was, was appropriate and um you know, but then they were also looking at, you know, the, the infamous kiss after World War II, and they were looking at the lunar landing, and they were looking at the, the uh, uh, Ruby killing Oswald, and, and, and 9-11 was abs- as abstract to them as those things. It was as much of a part of history, but then all of a sudden to be able to have this really graphic and grim uh, example of, of both the, the courage, but then also the, 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 the senselessness of some of it, and for these kids to the first time being like, yeah, we see these kinds of things all the time. Why the hell are they doing that? <laughs> you know, like, like, I'm not sure if this is how, you know, how we, I want to have this, this, this information communicated to me. Or is it important to have it communicated that way? Is it important to see those images? And so it was, able to be able, it was good to be able to have uh, a discussion with these 14-year-olds about this kind of stuff because there weren't a lot of 30-somethings here talking about it. Now I don't know. I I know, of course, that you're a a, a follower of Lauren Coleman's work, and of his uh, copycat effect blog, and, and his Twilight Language website. And have you been following along with some of the things that he's been posting up? No, no. All right. I, um, you know, and and here's and here's the. I think maybe you know there will be time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, behind the scenes, no one knows except for you and I how much I was. Going back and forth with you um, during the during the, the Dark Knight Rises uh, incident, right? Uh, about connections and about you know, wait a minute, all this stuff and, and being able to pull it uh, out and be able to um, you know talk about this and analyze this stuff and you know, is there a bigger context of this and you know, is there a conspiracy theory and who's controlling minds and and things like that? But this was just way too close for me. Um, you know, and, and I think that's an interesting debate to have too. Like, when can we, when can we sit back uh, on these events and then say, like, okay, now let's try to put it in this kind of context, this kind of stuff that I don't think 
um, you know, for everything that I feel about Lauren Coleman, I don't think that, that it would be necessarily inappropriate. I don't know what he's posted, but I don't think it's inappropriate for someone to to be doing that. I just couldn't do it. Right. Um, and I just couldn't be uh, involved in that. You well, know? I, and and but, but go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I thought about contacting him to, to join us tonight, and, and I just had that feeling of it needs to be a little bit further away from the story before we do that, before we go down that road. But I'm glad that he's you know, following the story as he is. But uh, at the same time, I think that uh, there needs to be some time because some of the, I mean, some of the connections that are made, uh, and I know that you're, of course, uh, a big, uh, you, you know, you see connections pretty much right away to a lot of things. Um, and, and when I say connections, for those who aren't familiar, I'm not talking about, you know, Chris knows, like, who these people were working with type of thing. But there's there are kind of commonalities, similar threads that run through different stories that have kind of a, a, a meta feeling to them. Right. And and I think that, you know, the, w- when we come out of this and when we're far enough away from this, we will see a lot of these and, and it will be something that we'll have to address uh, sometime in the future. You know, and I, and I think part of that was because, you know, unfortunately for me, the connection was there. I mean, I went to school and lived on Boylston Street. I lived in Kenmore for years. Um, I, I shopped at the, the star market that's been approved. Um, I went up and down that street a thousand times. My grandfather was an MIT cop for 50 years, 40 years. Um, my wife uh, worked at MIT. She worked at the, the Zessica Center when it first opened. She helped design it, uh, design the inside of it. Um, <laughs> I lived on the street parallel to Arsenal Street for years. Um, the connections were there, unfortunately, for me, because these were tangible places for me. These were places that I had, had um, seen that, I, that were part of my story, that were part of, of my life, uh, extending now to the, to the UMass Dartmouth and, and, um, and New Bedford stuff that was going on, um, the, the stuff that was going on, which we didn't know what it was at the time at UMass. I mean, these are all these are like the story of Chris Balvano being told and like little by little chisels being hit into it. Um, and, 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 and blood being stained on it. These were, these were streets that I've walked with my own two feet. Um, and so I, I think that unfortunately for me, the connections were too close and too personal to start thinking in some kind of abstract, bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it, it probably will be a while before we can, we can do that, but it's, uh, it's a conversation that we'll definitely have somewhere down the line. Uh, right. Now, like I said, you know, we, we felt like, we were kind of insulated from this and maybe some of those walls were, were kind of self-built. Uh, but as you said, you know, you're connected to that area and you could envision all of this in your mind as it was taking place. Uh, I mean, even being all those miles away now, uh, how, how connected did you feel to everything as it was going on? Um, like, like, like it was my street. Um, like it was my, um, like it was my house, like it was my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to be honest, I am a kid who was born and, and, and grown in that area. Um, and then I was in New Hampshire for a very long time. Um, you know, for, for most of my kind of, you know, middle school and, and high school years. And, and some people are like, well, you're not really from Boston. You live in New Hampshire for so long. And I've been you know, kind of had that shot at me quite a bit lately. And um, I'm like, 
have, but nothing connected me to me more than that. I mean, my formative years were spent on those streets uh, that were attacked. My marriage was formed. Um, my wife and I, you know, it, it's her bridesmaids were calling in being like, isn't that where you lived? Um, you know, having been from, from parts, different parts of Florida. I mean, this was the, the foundation of my, um, of my adult years. Um, and I spent a lot of time in that, in that, in those areas. And, and, you know, uh, what, what, the, uh, Chris Pittman and I made food for half the cops we were seeing on TV. We were at Big A. <laughs> um, and I'm seeing the, and these are not abstract law enforcement that should just need to be saluted and, 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 you know, commended for all they were doing. It was like, dude, I know that guy. He's orders steak and cheese. Um, and so I felt very much like it was playing, um, with my family. Uh, and with the thing that that I am connect things that I'm connected to. Well, I do have to say that the the there's no other word the heroes who have come through uh, in this story uh, and throughout this week have just been amazing, and not just the people who are involved here, but the people who have come from all over to help out. I mean, I, I just remember smiling when you hear some of these stories, like. You know, as this manhunt's going on yesterday, the the NYPD is coming up with grills and food, right? And, and they're cooking food for everybody that's uh, that's involved in this, and and all these different things that have come through, and of course the individual uh, stories of heroism that we heard, Jeff Bowman and and the cowboy, and all these other stories that we've heard uh, over the course of the week. It's just to me, and I, I tweeted this out yesterday, and I, I know a lot of other people have too, and I I firmly believe it. You know, we should have a, a duck boat parade for all these people. And uh, it'll be it'll be far bigger than than uh, any one of the championship celebrations, that's for sure. Yeah, and and you know that's you know that's the thing that I'm holding on to even at the beginning, um, you know. And, and I wanted to respond to some people who had responded to to my stuff. I I from the very beginning I I was beyond rage and anger, um, and I know that that's a legitimate emotion, and I know that. But I, I'm I'm not there, and I'm not uh, I'm not sure I can go there just because. Whereas this is an assault on uh, on our country, on, on the city that I love. I mean, Boston is my city. Um, it, it it to me was so much more about um, about healing and so much more about the spirit of a of a city um, that I I can't let that other stuff creep in. You know what'll happen will happen. Uh, you know, and that was my, my, my guiding light throughout the whole week. What will happen in terms, of, um, in terms of who did this will happen. Um, right now I can feel nothing but, you know, pride in being from Boston uh, and, and sadness. I, I, I couldn't feel rage. I couldn't do it. Right. I couldn't feel hate either. I know that that's horrible. I couldn't feel hate. It was so much not about them. Uh, or anyone that that might be connected to it that we might find out about, it was so much more about the people who were involved, and I and I held on to that. Well, if I can find it during the break, uh, there was a great letter that was uh, sent out on social media uh, by a person 
uh, by Priest in Training. And if I can find it, I'll read that uh, coming up in the second hour. Uh, but I do want to kind of shift gears away from this a little bit in hour two, if that's all right with everybody here, uh, because there are some things in the paranormal world that went on this week that I do want to talk about. And Chris, you're welcome to stay for that, or or uh, or you can go. It's up to you. Um, but uh, one thing that I do want to point out and remind everybody about is that on Monday at 2.50 p.m., uh, both WBSM and Fun 107 will be having a moment of radio silence uh, in honor of the victims of this tragedy. And also uh, a lot of the Boston stations are doing that as well. And I'm sure other stations across the country will follow suit. And I've kind of been asking uh, for people to observe a social media moment of silence too at that time, not to tweet or post anything on Facebook or you know Instagram, any photos or any of that kind of stuff, kind of a, a social media moment of silence. Because it's really, it's the only way that everybody out there can observe the same moment of silence and let the world know that they're doing so. So uh, if everybody wants to just join us in that on Monday at 2.50 p.m., but uh, just so you know, the station will be silent, and they're actually probably going to think that we're on the air because of you know when they hear the beeps going off and everything, they're going to be like, oh, somebody must have let Spooky South Coast guys and No, it's going to be on purpose. Uh, it's going to be an intentional moment of silence, so uh, be sure to tune in if you are out and about and kind of just bow your head and observe at the same time. So we're going to take a break here coming up uh, for the news. Like I said, on the other side, if anybody wants to call in and share their own thoughts, of course, the phone lines are open throughout the program, 508-996-0500, You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can tweet us at SpookySC, uh, or you can uh, always post up on our Facebook page as well, Facebook.com slash SpookySouthCoast. Those are the ways to get a hold of us uh, if you do have anything that you want to share with us. Uh, but again, of course, your phone calls are most welcome coming up in the second hour. I will try to find that letter and read it. And also, I do want to talk about some paranormal stuff that happened this week because uh, this also struck close to home, this story that came out. And uh, although the parties that were involved uh, hopefully will join us at a future date to discuss it, I do kind of want to just throw the situation out there of what happens when someone that you know and somebody that you work with and, and have investigated with is accused of fraud. So uh, stay tuned. We'll talk about all that coming up. Uh, and again, if you do want to call in, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. They're up on SpookySouthCoast.com and WBSM.com as well if you want to check it out. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, does it? AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back, our number three, Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And we normally talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Tonight we started off the show discussing the uh, events of the Boston bombing and, and everything that happened this past week. I do kind of want to switch gears a little bit, though, here in the second hour. But again, if anybody wants to call in, share their own thoughts and feelings, just get anything off their chest, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers uh, if you want to do that. 
but also we do want to let some people know about some different things that are coming up. Uh, one of these things that I want to share with everybody is a fundraiser, and it I know that everybody's promoting uh, the One Fund for Boston now, but uh, this is something that uh, we've been talking about uh, on, on my Twitter and Facebook. I've been mentioning it, and I'll, I'll be promoting it a little bit more uh, as it comes up. But uh, coming up on the i got to find the date. <laughs> I just found the wrong information from last year. Uh, but they are coming up. The 14th Annual Champions Fighting Cancer Walk uh, is being held by Signature Healthcare in Brockton. And it's uh, I'm going to find the actual date that's coming up. But a friend of ours, a friend of the show, uh, her team is uh, Amy's Angels Walkers. And they'll be taking part in this Champions Fighting Cancer Walk and we want to make sure that uh, anybody that wants to donate will uh, do so and do so for their team because uh, they are supporters of Spooky South Coast and friends of ours. So we want to help out their team. It's coming up on Sunday, May 5th. Uh, it will actually take place 8 to 10.30 a.m. will be registration at Brockton High School. Uh, and then at 10 a.m. the shuttle leaves for the short walk because you, you can either do the 1.5-mile walk where you can do the, the complete walk. But it's going to be coming up Sunday, May 5th, at, leaving from Brockton High School, and it's the Champions Fighting Cancer Walk. And again, if you want to make a donation, our team is Team Amy's Angels. And if you go to signature-healthcare.org, you can find all the links to make your pledges there. They're also on Facebook under Champions Cancer Walk. So uh, again, I'll, I'll have that out on social media too as the weeks come up so that people can take part in that and maybe go on go and cheer on amy's team as well also coming up in may may 19th uh from 10 to 5 at the seaport Inn and marina right here in fairhaven massachusetts will be the south coast toy and comic show and we are going to be having some of the guests the celebrity guests from that on the show the night before on may 18th and so we still aren't sure exactly who we're going to have here on the show but I got to tell you, I'm excited about who some of these guests are, oh, hell including yeah. we could be having Gil Gerard here on the program. Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers himself, Gil Gerard. And uh, a lot of people, and they don't have it up there. They have them listed as Buck Rogers, Star Trek, New Voyages, Phase 2, and The Doctors. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Gil Gerard the main character on Sidekicks? Were there any Reyes Jr.? I believe you are correct. Right. So, I, you know, I want to talk to him about that. Uh, also, Mike Quinn from Return of the Jedi, The Dark Crystal, and uh, Muppet Operator. Uh, he'll be at Moni's. I, I know a lot about Star, Star Wars, but I don't know everything about Star Wars. Do you know the name of that character? Not off the top of my Okay. Head. Well, anyway, Mike Quinn from Star Wars and Cindy Morgan from Tron and Caddyshack. I yep. think a lot of people probably remember her more from Caddyshack yeah, than from Tron, but I'm a big Tron guy. My text message sound for a long time was Master Control saying, end of line. And I had to change it because I was tired of explaining to everybody what it was from. <laughs> and uh, also our friend Brian Harnwa from Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International in Hunter, Rhode Island. Uh, he'll be there as well. So I don't know who's going to be in the studio on May 18th, but they'll all be at the Seaport Inn and Marina on May 19th if you want to go and check that event out. Uh, admission is only $8, and kids under 6 are free. And, of course, there's also going to be tons of comic book artists there as well. Uh, including what about the General Lee? The General Lee will be there, too. And that's I'm really excited for that because uh, I haven't seen the General Lee since I was a wee lad, since I was about five years old when I got my picture taken with it. So it's time for an updated version, definitely for sure. So uh, 
if you do come out and, and check this out, you'll see some great uh, vendors and artists uh, who, if you are a frequenter of these events, you know, you'll recognize a lot of these, these names, uh, including our friend Frankie B. Washington. Uh, and he's just great. I mean, everybody that's there is, is amazing artists. And uh, eventually, eventually, we'll work it out. I've been talking to Steve about this. They've got to get my favorite comic book artist of all time, Keith Geffen, to come to this thing. He's the guy who created the best comic book character ever, Ambush Bug. <laughs> a lot of people don't love the Ambush Bug, but I do. Uh, but anyway, so there's going to be lots of uh, artists there to check out, vendors, and, of course, all the celebrity guests. Again, May 19th, 2013, from 10 to 5 at the Seaport Inn Marina right here in Fairhaven at 110 Middle Street. If you want to find out more about the event, just go to southcoasttoyandcomic.com. And I'm going to mention this now, even though we'll be promoting it a lot over the summer and as we get closer to November, but I just want to let people know about this so that they can kind of follow along as things are added on. But the Rhode Island Comic Con, which is put on by the same company, Altered Reality, uh, that's happening November 2nd to the 3rd. And it'll be uh, 10 to 7 on Saturday and 10 to 5 on Sunday at the Rhode Island Convention Center. And every time I see a new announcement of who's coming to this thing, I just get more and more blown away. It is going to be amazing to go to Rhode Island and see such huge stars who also, by the way, will be joining us on the show uh, prior to the event. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe we can even broadcast live from Providence that night and grab some of these people. No, I am serious. Because look at who we've got. We've got, I'm just going to throw out some of these names, but you want to go to ricomicon.com to see all the names, but Nichelle Nichols. Nichols. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, who's not going to go there to see uh, Lieutenant Ahura from Star Trek? Uh, Billy D. Williams. Yeah. I just want to take the man out by him a Colt 45. Because <laughs> I think it's kind of gross. So I don't know if he was just doing those commercials for the money or if he enjoys the product. Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. Yep. He's going to be there. Uh, David Anders from Once Upon a Time. Uh, Raphael Sparge from Once Upon a Time. This is fantastic to me. They're going to have a weird science reunion. Anthony Michael Hall, who a lot of people know yep. from Dead Zone, 16 yep. Candles, shows like that. Uh, and also Island Mitchell Smith, who does not do any of these events. He's going to be there as well. And if I can find, just to make sure that she's still up on the website, let me just scroll down here a little bit here. So many people. Yes, Dana Barron. Dana Barron from National Lampoon's Vacation will be there, as well as Anthony Michael Hall. So Rusty and Audrey from the first vacation wow. film will all be in attendance. They're having a weekend at Bernie's reunion with Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman. <laughs> now, you know how people go to these events and they dress up? And it's oh, called yeah. cosplay. You know, they all come up as, as their favorite characters. I think I'm going to go as Bernie. And I think I'm going to kind of go as Dead Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's 2, where the, the music kind of makes me move around. <laughs> so I think that, that's going to be my cosplay for that night. This is unbelievable. No way. They're going to have Adam West. I'm sorry, Mayor Adam West <laughs> from Quahog, Rhode Island. He'll be there. Burt Ward, Julie Newmar, Yvonne Craig. That's like... Almost everybody from the original Batman that you'd ever want to see that's, that's still, still with us. Yeah. This is, I, I lost it when I saw this announcement. William Zabka and Martin Cove from Karate Kid. Yep. We're talking about Johnny and Sensei Kreese, both there. Cobra Kai representing at the Rhode Island Comic Con. Uh, Chris Balzano's coming up to hang out with Nicholas Brendan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Josh Stewart from Walking Dead and Dark Knight Rises. 
uh, Dana Snyder from Aquatine Hunger Force. So we have a couple other zombie characters from The Walking Dead. Uh, we have the the girl that played Sophia from Walking Dead. Is, is she there? Yeah. Where? Far right. Oh yeah, I didn't even realize that. I, I didn't recognize. Her I as did. A zombie. I'm a Walking Dead fan, so. I watched the show. I just didn't recognize her in zombie form, so she'll be there. Uh, they're having a huge Power Rangers reunion. Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger, Walter Jones, the Black Ranger, David Yost, the Blue Power Ranger, uh, Bulk and Skull will be there. Uh, so anybody that's a Power Rangers fan wants to check this thing out. Admiral Akbar. <laughs> it just keeps getting more and more hey, names each time I go to this website. Kathy Monroe from Empire Strikes Back making her first U.S. appearance ever. Paul Blake, who is Greedo, and by the way, who did not shoot first. All right? Remember that. Greedo did not shoot first. Watch the original cut. Right. Uh, Tim Rose, of course, Admiral Akbar. Uh, he was also in Howard the Duck and the Dark Crystal. Uh, Bonnie, I don't know how to say her last name, but uh, the, the actress who played Aunt Beru in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Barry Holland. Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager and Supernatural. Uh, and I remembered him from the, yeah. as the gym teacher from The Wonder Years. And so yeah. that's what I want to talk to him about. I want to talk about making Kevin Arnold climb the rope. Uh, and Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager. If you've seen Ted. Oh, God. <laughs> this is incredible. Sam Jones is oh, going to be yes. there. And I can only imagine how many people are going to try to party with him like Ted did. <laughs> but uh, Sam Jones, Melody Anderson from Flash Gordon will be there. Mark Singer from V and Beastmaster. Uh, John Amos from Beastmaster and Good Times. I thought he died, John Amos. Yeah. I, no, he's still alive. I think I confuse his Good Times character with uh, real life. And, of course, Jimmy Walker from Good Times will be there. You know what we have to say about that? Dynamite. Dynamite. Again, I mentioned Dana Perrin. James Hampton, who was the uncle in Teen Wolf. Uh, Dustin Diamond. Don't call him Screech from Saved by the Bell. Oh, I didn't even realize this. Oh, my God. They're having Strickland from Back to the Future there. <laughs> as well as Claudia Wells. I can't wait to have him call me a slacker. You're a slacker, Weisberg. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lollipop Chainsaw. Jessica Negri will be there. Uh, Ivy Doom Kitty, who's a famous cosplayer. They've got a bunch of... No, Nicole Marie, who's a world-famous cosplay player and a friend of ours on Facebook. Uh, some wrestling... Stars will be there as well. Jimmy Superfly Snooker, the only wrestler to ever offer me a cigarette. He'll be there. Gremlina, our friend Gremlina, will be there from Glow. Uh, Kathy St. George, Playboy, Playboy Playmate. Tom DiNucci. Uh, let's see. And uh, some some paranormal representation, too, as well. John Brightman and Vin Pacheco from New England Paranormal Research. Brian Harnwa and Joe Chin from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. So look at that lineup. I mean, that's amazing. And they just keep adding more names. Uh, in fact, I think I saw something earlier uh, that was a, a new addition to it. I don't know if it was one that we mentioned there, but I'm going to just scroll down here to the Rhode Island Comic Con tweets uh, from Twitter. And you can follow them on Twitter, and of course you can al also go to the website. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here's a new name that isn't up there yet. Larry Kenny, the voice of Lion-O and Count Chocula. Uh, he's going to be there. Tiger Sharks, Silverhawks, all those cartoons from the 80s that kids like me grew up watching. Larry Kenny's going to be there. So just, it's amazing. Just more and more names added each day. RIComicCon.com. The tickets to that are incredibly affordable, too. Uh, so if you want to get them, get them now, because I can only imagine it's going to be impossible to get into this thing. Seriously, if you want to go in on Saturday, 25 bucks. 
Sunday, 25 bucks. You want to go both days? Great deal. $35. $35 to go in and meet all these people. Now, uh, we'll be able to get in because we're going to work it, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I can't really speak to that, but I am going to be part of the event itself. So uh, we'll, ha- we'll have more information on that at the end. But I'm sure, you know, we, we will have a table there. Okay. I know that for sure. So, you know, we will definitely have a presence at the RI Comic Con. Uh, now, keep in mind, though, that when you go there, you're paying the money to get in. But, of course, there's going to be money. You know, you have to have money with you to, to buy autographs and to, to have photos taken with people. Uh, and you can get some pictures in advance, uh, autograph pictures in advance. Like, for example, if you want to get a picture of Adam West autographed, uh, $60. Uh, just throwing out some other names here. $30 for Andrew McCarthy. Uh, let's see who's who's the least expensive. Let's see who draws the least amount of money. You know, Burt Ward and Adam West are each sixty bucks. They seem to be the most expensive. Uh, a lot of people in the twenty dollar range. Uh, Forty dollars for Nichelle Nichols. Let's see, fifty dollars for Gremlina. Our friend Gremlina coming through for the fans. She only needs fifty dollars, fifteen dollars uh, for an autograph. Thirty dollars for uh, Ernie Hudson. So uh, you know. Maybe yeah. maybe we can have him sign one of our Ghost Ghostbusters jumpsuits that we bought a couple of years ago and never wore. Maybe we can have him sign I one of those. Put it up. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I say maybe mine doesn't fit so well. So maybe we'll have him sign mine. We'll put it up for charity, and uh, and see if we can get some money. But it's going to be uh, quite an amazing event. There's VIP packages too, uh, if you want to kind of get in early to some of these events and and uh, participate in some of these exclusive things that are going on. You can buy these VIP packages as well. Get it all on the website, ricomicon.com. And, of course, there will be more information about this and your chance to purchase tickets if you come to the South Coast Touring Comic Show on May 19th here in Fairhaven. So, really, if you're a geek like us, I mean, this is this is gold. I just can't believe. Every time I look at it, and I didn't even go into the page where I mentioned all the artists that are going to be there either. So check it all out for yourself, ricomicon.com, if you want to find out all the information, and southcoasttoyandcomic.com. So make makes me really wish that uh, you know I could just do this kind of stuff all the time because there's things like this that go on all the you know all over the country, but uh, I just I can't spend the time to travel and to go to all these things. All right, I'm gonna go a little bit. I don't want to say dangerous ground here, but there's there's a website out there called Worst Paranormal. And what I see where you're going. What they do is they expose people who they feel are committing fraudulent activities in the paranormal field. It's one of these paranormal watchdog sites that we've talked about in the past. And it's actually run by somebody who is has experience in paranormal television. And he had a recent report. Again, I'm not going to get into specifics because I haven't had a chance to speak to all the parties involved and I haven't had given them a chance to have their equal time. But it's a person that we know and that we've worked with in the past who has been accused of uh, falsifying evidence. So now I want to talk in completely broad strokes here, Moniz, because uh, I have uh, I'm going to be extending the offer to both parties to join us in the future and, and talk about this as well as the people who uh, put forth the initial report. But you've been doing this for a long time. You've been doing this on an independent basis for a long time. Yeah. I think 
part of the reason why you do it on an independent basis, I'm just guessing, is to avoid getting to situations like this. But what do you do if someone that you know has been accused of falsifying evidence, but yet you've worked with this person and, you know, your reputation can kind of be tied into theirs? Okay, this has happened to me on couple of different occasions as well as being accused myself all right number one accusation doesn't mean that it's absolute right All it is is just an ab- accusation I'll, I'll let you finish what you're saying but we'll go back to that okay um usually when you get cases like this especially in this field a lot of it has to do has to do with egos you know, or in some cases, um, an axe to grind with the person that that is being accused. I am not completely familiar with uh, the website you're talking about. I know of its existence, but I don't really know who's behind it and haven't really followed it. Well, it's Topher Young who uh, was involved with PRS and and Paranormal State. Okay. Not that that matters, but I'm just, you know. No, it just, it just, tells me where where they're from and who they are okay um i don't really know topher uh so i can't speak to him i know who he's trying to accuse and uh all the work i've done with them i haven't seen any improprieties doesn't mean that it the possibility is zero but i find it curious the accusation's curious as i do with anybody well getting back to what you said about about it just being an accusation in this field. Unfortunately, an accusation is enough. You know, there doesn't always have to be. It's funny for something where the idea is the pursuit of proof of the paranormal. We don't necessarily need proof to come down on somebody. uh, If we feel that they have been misleading people and I, I, I don't know, it's, it's a slippery slope for us because again, like I said, this person has been associated with us, and I have never seen any reason to question uh, what he does. And that's why I want to give him the opportunity to come on to an episode of the show sometime in the future and, and defend himself. And, and if he's listening, you know, shoot me a text and let me know if that works for you. Uh, but also, we're, we're part of Legend Trips, which is a company that takes people out into haunted locations and tries to provide a paranormal experience for people. And again, we don't guarantee that you'll have a paranormal experience, no. but you know, the possibility is there and we try to do everything we can, especially given our last one. Oh, that's, that's like, that's the new gold standard. And uh, I, I definitely want to talk to you about that uh, before we go off the air, because we didn't get a chance to speak, speak to you about it last week when you were uh, out of the studio. But that's kind of one of the fears that I have when we go to those things, and especially this last one at the Houghton Mansion, because I had such a profound personal experience that I, I don't care if anybody else believes it. I know that it happened, and it changed me. It changed me as an investigator. It changed me as a person. So for me, that's enough. But as I shared with people when I was telling them about what happened, I didn't know if I wanted to go public with what happened because I don't, excuse me, I don't want to be the guy who runs the events and has all the stuff happen to him because there has been significant things that have happened to me at these events. So I don't want people to think like I am 
making things up to help business. Well, I've been with you on personal investigations, and yeah, I've seen things happen to you. You happen to be a magnet for, yeah. you know, a lot of it you bring upon yourself, but yeah. So uh, to me, it's not surprising that stuff happens around you. But there will be that uh, speculation from people and that cynicism from people that, you know, maybe I'm making things up. And when you're somebody who charges people money to go on investigations, you know, a lot of people feel that there is an onus to make sure that things happen. And I think part of the problem is that people are coming at it from the wrong approach. When they're conducting these events and conducting these investigations for pay, they're essentially promoting it as, you know, I'm going to take you out to a place where you can have a paranormal experience. They need to get away from that. And they need to kind of focus on, I'm bringing you to a place where I can teach you how to investigate in a spot where there has been significant activity and maybe you will get something. And it's kind of on the public as well to put aside the expectations when they're buying that ticket that something's going to happen. So that's kind of my two cents on the business aspect of it. But in terms of just being an investigator, I mean, have you ever felt pressure uh, in an investigation to come up with something? I mean, I know that you wouldn't falsify anything, but have you ever gone into an investigation where it's like, uh, you know that if you come up empty-handed, you know, you're not going to help the people feel any better. You're not going to help uh, the location feel any better. I mean, well, usually on private investigations, a lot of them are very happy when I, you know, I found that, you know, the knocking on the wall is actually because of the radiator system and, or, you know, some animal that's behind the wall or what have you. So to find nothing in a lot of private cases, yeah, they're happy about it. Uh, larger, public locations, uh, if they're looking to augment their coffers by having people come in and do tours and investigations, when I find nothing on a lot of occasions, it's like, you sure you didn't get anything? It's like, if I don't, I don't. And if I do, usually these places are the first people to find out. So, um, but I've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I it's not surprising to me to get nothing on investigations. Uh, more often than not, 95% of the time, I come up with nothing in terms of stuff that I can definitively show. I have a lot of personal experiences, you know, uh, as you and I have had on many occasions mm-hmm. when you shut off the tape recorder, shut off the camera. Or and don't even bring them in with in, you. Bring them in with you. Stuff happens. You bring all, all the gadgets and doodads in and nothing happens for for most of the time. Yeah. So I, I just I don't understand. And maybe it's because maybe it's because I it's it's just my own approach to the paranormal. Uh, in my own thought process of what a paranormal investigator should be. But I don't see any kind of advantage to, and and this is not related to to the story that we're talking about, but just, again, speaking in generalities, uh, uh, there's all these groups. Worst Paranormal, the website, is, you know, notorious for pointing out when people have falsified evidence, be it photos or EVPs or anything like that. And there was just... 
uh, there was just an example with our friends at Darkness Radio exposing somebody from the Ryan Institute for having an EVP that was just a, a watermark sound recording, essentially. Um, so I don't understand the need to promote false evidence to make yourself look better. That's if you know it's false. A lot of times people can misidentify something thinking it's paranormal where somebody with a little bit more experience realizes, oh, that's just a, a mark on the tape that they're misinterpreting from the manufacturer. Or, but you know, some of these groups, that, especially that worse paranormal and other, advocate here. other you know, paranormal watchdog sites point out, you know, they'll put up photos on their website that they've caught in an investigation that are clearly made with a ghost this app. app. And when they're called out on it, they will vehemently defend that photo instead of just giving up and being like, all right, you know, you showed it to me. All right, maybe we got fooled by one of our investigators or maybe we got fooled by a homeowner. You know, there, there's there's kind of some degree of plausible deniability. Like, for example, if you showed me a ghost app photo, I could never tell you that it came from a ghost app because I've never used one of them. And I've never even downloaded one or looked at one. So my only experience with ghost app photos is when I've seen on the internet when somebody's like, that's from the ghost app, that ghost is one of the ones that's in the app. Um, but I can also tell when I look at one, something doesn't seem right here. And then I will just Google search it and find you know, a similar photo. To do a ghost app, most of them are, like you said, they're online. That's the first thing you do, especially... One of the real good indicators is they're relatively clear, mm -hmm. you know, and it looks. And a lot of them use famous ghost shots. So if you're yeah. familiar with, you know, the the cemetery in Chicago, if you're familiar with, right. uh, you know, the Brown Lady of Random Hall, right. then you're going to see these popping up and you're going to know, you know, that that's where they came from. But I just don't understand why they would need to have false evidence to promote themselves. I want to know what you're like as an investigator. I don't want to know what kind of evidence you've got. Whatever evidence you've captured doesn't make you a better investigator in my eyes if I'm just perusing the website looking for a group to call in. And first of all, uh, you know, in a lot of parts of this country, there is only kind of one group in the area. So you win by default. But in these areas where there are competition and they do feel the need to get themselves out there more, uh, you know, a testimonial from uh, from a client and again, I know that we hate to use the word client when describing Thank you. these cases, but, you know, a testimonial from the person who initiated contact from you for an investigation is more valuable to me than whatever photo you're going to show that you caught because it's a crapshoot capturing evidence. It really is. I know people who have caught it that weren't trying, and I know people who have tried and have never caught it. How many security cameras have recorded items? You know, how many trail cams have picked up? You know, things. So that doesn't impress me. The photo that you put up that you caught doesn't impress me. In fact, the more photos that I see of evidence, the more skeptical I am of your group. Because I'm starting to think, gee, you know, they seem to get a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, and then I want to know more about your techniques. I want to know more about your uh, individual makeup of your group. And that's the information that should be out there. That should be what you're using to promote yourself. I get lucky picking up stuff probably once every three or four years. And how often do I go out? I'm, a, I'm out there every weekend. But there's the other side of the coin too now, where now there's become a cottage industry of getting yourself on TV. And this is something that you have to deal with. 
uh, in, in a role that you perform outside of this show. And that <laughs> that's even worse because now, you know, it's one thing to take a photo and fake it and put it on your website as evidence that your group is caught. You know, that's that that's one thing. Chances are you could probably exist for quite a while before anybody finds you out and rats you out. You know, without sites like Worst Paranormal and, and other watchdog sites, maybe that wouldn't even happen at all. But it's a whole other can of worms when you use that, quote-unquote, evidence to get yourself on My Ghost Story, Paranormal Witness, you know, any of these types of programs where now you're going to put it out there to millions of people that are watching on television. You don't think that they're going to be able to, to say right away, hey, that's the picture from the ghost app. And I know that the production companies aren't as well-versed as people in the paranormal field are at debunking a lot of this stuff, although they're getting better. But well, they're production companies. They don't, they're more interested in the story, not... The, right. Yeah. It doesn't matter to them if it's true or not. They even say at the beginning that they're not endorsing your story. You know, they're just allowing you to tell it. So we're in a whole different world now where you just, you can't get away with it. So why do you even try? That's what I don't understand. Why do you even try? What is so important that you need to put your reputation of yourself, of your entire group? Because keep in mind now, even if you're in a group that has nothing to do with somebody falsifying evidence and you're just part of the team and, you know, somebody else does it, it, it doesn't matter. It stains you. It stains everybody that's worked with that group. It puts that association in people's minds of, well, you know, maybe they're not completely on the up and up. So I just don't see the benefit of it. It just, it boggles my mind that people feel the need to, to go to those lengths. I agree. It's, it's shameful, but it happens. I think what it, it is, it's the, they see it as the quick, the quick ride to the front of the line, so to speak. If I get enough in, of these. Well, what do you get from being at the front of the line? Well, just what you're saying. It gets them the fame, quote unquote, the notoriety amongst other people to be picked for the next paranormal show. Show number eight thousand seven hundred and fifty six now that you know. But you don't I mean you don't get anything. I mean I'd like to think that we're not to toot our own horn, but we're pretty close to the front of the line here on Spooky South Coast. And we're certainly not rich from it. We're not well known from it. You know, we're just, I'd like to think that we're respected because we don't do this kind of stuff. But, I mean, we're certainly not making, we don't get paid for doing the show. We don't make any money for coming in here. We don't make money off of, you know, the TV things that we do. And I'm probably going to borrow five bucks from you to get something to eat on the way home. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was turning in cans this afternoon to buy gas. You know, so we're really not getting anything from being further ahead of anybody else. Anything it costs us. Right, it does. It it does. So when So remember donations to Spooky South Coast. <laughs> just donate to just go to PayPal and donate Tim at spooky south coast dot com and that'll help the show. I, I say this every week now, but I I gotta just reiterate, getting really concerned about that laptop. Yeah. <laughs> Crashed about two minutes before we were about to go on the air inexplicably. We still have no idea why. And it's like the third week the in a row. The power of Windows happened. compels you. The power of Windows compels you. So I think, you know, if anybody was ever feeling generous, now's the time. 
TimothBrookieSouthCoast.com. Is please donate your old laptops too. I'll take that too. <laughs> you know, whatever anybody wants to give us to help us get by. Uh, but anyway, so I, I mentioned a little bit about what happened at the Houghton Mansion, uh, and I talked about it last week. Uh, and of course, I wrote a blog about it on <laughs> WBSM.com, which I will be updating this week now that I feel like it's okay to kind of have the ghost conversation uh, beyond this week's tragedy. But I do want to talk to you about your experiences at the Houghton Mansion uh, because you were there on Friday night when we were taking the VIP tour, so to speak, and uh, we had that disembodied voice uh, in John Witter's room. And I've heard you talk about this now, but uh, for the listeners, I mean, share with them about how profound of an experience that was for you uh yeah on that friday night when uh josh brought us into the mansion we got a chance to roam around pretty much through the entire building and what ended up being the last place that we were brought to was what they call widow's room uh up on the third floor in the back part of the mansion and while sitting in there we had what probably seven eight people with us maybe even less yeah about that yeah and um i was standing in the back corner close to one of these little half wall closet doors and as josh was talking about a particular incident or story he pretty much summed it up and all of us sitting there in the dark all heard this disembodied voice i heard it Basically, to my left and slightly behind me, about two or three feet. And I'll I'll try and approximate it for you. You tell me if this sounds close enough to you. Right. That might have been a little bit longer than it was. But, but yeah, roughly about that volume. Maybe a little less. But it was definitely a voice. It was trying to say something and uh there was something between it and us and it was definitely within the room within the sphere of the room and uh i was the first one to actually make comment on it because the rest of you guys thought it was me uh or at least the girls did to my right uh you were directly in front of me where did you hear it coming from it sounded like it was coming from the closet to me yeah Okay, so it would have been to your right and my left because I was facing you, you were facing me, basically. And and no offense to Josh and, and, and the great investigators at Berkshire Paranormal Group, but we wouldn't have been doing our jobs if we didn't open up the closet yeah. and look for any kind of recording device <laughs> yeah. or, or speaker or anything, and, and there was nothing in there. And everybody in that room that left, no, no nobody... We didn't all, hear it. Yeah, we all stuck our heads in the closet too. To like, yeah, this is where it came from. You know, everybody said I definitely heard something, and it's it's been great for me to go back and and read. Uh, some people have been putting up on Facebook yep. some of their experiences and going back and reading them and realizing like, yes, they they had the same experiences we had. I mean, this this stuff uh, legitimately. Oh, other happened. people from 
from being in the in the mansion have said the same thing? No, no. I mean, the people that were with us oh. at that time, you know, to know that there's no mistaking what we heard when we heard it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that we'll find other reports from other groups, too, of, of similar things. I, I mean, people can make assumptions of what they think thought we heard it could have been somebody from outside uh it could have been you know the house doing something weird and settling or, or other people in another room and it's you know sound bouncing uh one of the other ones i really liked was you know somebody's stomach rumbling okay if somebody's stomach was rumbling like that they should see a doctor right <laughs> this, this was this was this was definitely uh conversation yeah and uh, speaking of conversation, when we were downstairs and we heard, I heard the voices coming from up the staircase and I brought everybody over and they heard the same kind of thing. Yeah, that was kind of creepy. And, and I got to say, that's the second time that that's happened to me in two different locations. I love the response that, that you got. That was classic. <laughs> Anybody up there? No. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, that, but that's the second time that that's happened in a different location. It happened to me in the Fearing Tavern as well. And I think that that's something investigators should kind of keep an ear toward when you are in a place. If everybody's kind of on one floor, listen in because conversation takes place other places. They're talking about you, you know, on the second and third floors of a location while you're on the first. Um, now, what happened? You were on the third floor throughout the – well, first of all, I, I got to ask you about this. You were – Taking the reins of getting everybody in and out yeah, of the psychomantium. Uh, that was a very, very eye-opening experience for me because a lot of the people that went in there were not the same people when they came back out. Mm -hmm. They There were some people that had, I'll just call it very profound personal experiences, and they were not ready for the things that they saw. Um, several people were not prepared for the people that showed up in the mirror right and, uh several others had other types of experiences that were very uplifting so some were very somber and a few just had nothing I, more people had a reaction either good or bad than had shall we say a neutral or nothing experience. right I, I i didn't talk to anybody that came out and said nothing happened you know, everybody was kind of like, well, I'm not really sure. A lot of people said that, but yeah. most people, it was very profound, uh, in including Dave Schrader, who, when he came out of it, you know, he was in tears uh, because he made a very personal connection, as did a few of our friends. Uh, were there a lot of people, though, that were going in there and saying, well, I'm just going in there just to try yeah, it? Yeah, just to try it. And then they came back out. First girl came out almost in tears. Um had several other people that were very emotionally shaken. Uh, only had one person that, you know, pulled the panic that I had to pull out. Uh, you know, some people didn't realize how, you know, if they were really, really claustrophobic. And that right. was a very small, cla if you were claustrophobic in any manner, this was not the room for you. So, uh, yeah, they did very, very well on the whole. Just like I said, one person had a little let me out of here type of thing. And it wasn't like it was a situation where they're coming out and saying, you know, I think I might have seen the face well, of this person. They were very de and definitive in there. And not only were they definitive, but they were events of significant duration too. It wasn't just I, I glanced over and out of the corner of my eye, I saw my deceased cousin, for example, and I'm I, nobody told me that. I'm just using that as an example. So... 
it, it wasn't that you just glance out of the corner of your eye and see that. It's that you are looking at them and they are acknowledging you and you are having an experience with them, with whether it be the spirit of that person or maybe just the memory of that person coming forward. Now, I'm sure that you've done a lot of research into these things uh, before, especially any type of scrying or, or, or mirror gazing oh, yeah. in general, but is it a legitimate means of communication with a spirit or is it just our own memories and our own desire of who we want to see in that mirror? Well, the form of scrying has been around thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So it's probably one of the oldest forms of divination there is. So whether it's looking into a pool of water, you know, or in a mirror or reflective metal surface or what have you, your eyes are going to see what your mind is going to project there. So it, you feel that it is what your mind is projecting more than it is something coming through? I, I think it's a focal point for something in your mind. Now, if people have abilities such as they claim to have, and it's being filtered through their brain in some way, then yeah, it makes sense to me in terms of science that this is how your brain would react to your, you're using a focal point and we're visual creatures and this is how this chooses to manifest whether it be something psychologically driven or something that we don't yet understand driven make sense oh it does now what about what else was going up on the third floor going on up on the third floor Excuse me, I know a lot of people were coming downstairs and saying that it was very active that night. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were shadow-type people walking in front of windows. I saw a luminous, it was it was more football-shaped than anything else, uh, manifest right in front of me and then stay there for at least a minute and a half. Wow. And then just slowly fade out. There's several other people that were there watching it with me. Uh, Andy was watching a person walk back and forth in front of the windows in the third floor. Um, that it was happening to us in the uh, in, in behind the Mason Hall. Uh, no, we're talking. This was a human form that definitely blocked out the window. And we we had this. Not only were they doing the same thing with a window on that floor, they were standing right in front of us. They were walking by us. They were they were standing in our immediate personal oh, space. Okay. Now, I'm going to get to my own little personal story of what happened to me sitting in the chair. Andy was in the hallway just on, just outside of the room I was in. And I'm sitting in one of those chairs that, you know, Naugahyde or whatever it is, faux <laughs> plastic, leather, whatever. And, and I'm sitting there and I could hear footsteps. And then I could feel and hear a hand running across the leather of the chair on the chair back behind me. And I thought it was just Andy walking by, putting his hand out so he didn't trip over yeah, something. Yeah, kind of bracing himself. Right, because we're in pit, pretty much pitch black. And I turned to look where Andy should have appeared on the other side of the chair, and it was just a dark nothingness that was there that then all of a sudden when I went, whoa, faded out to the ambient light in the room. Wow. And that's when Andy came around the corner and was like, yeah, so I had my own little, what I'll call a close encounter in that room. Now, 
uh, and I shared last week on the show, I shared some of my experiences, uh, including the, just the amazing experience I had of, of literally shaking hands with a ghost. And while we were doing the program here tonight, one of the investigators who was there sent me audio, uh, eight audio clips of different things that were going on during that time. So what I'll do is I'll go over those. and Well, actually, you and I will listen to them right yeah, as, okay. as soon as the show's over. And then we'll uh, maybe bring them on to next week's show for people to hear. Uh, but it's one of those things where even if there is no quantifiable, quote-unquote, evidence to back up what happened, I, I just I know that it happened. And the people who were there with me know that it happened, and that's enough uh, for me. Everybody had some form of experience uh, it, in there. It's amazing how much. And we always say, you know, when we go to these things, gee, we hope the location plays along tonight. The Houghton Mansion was more than happy to do that. And I'll, I'll ask you this because I've, I've had this conversation with a few of the people who were there. Uh, I can't really get it out of my mind. <laughs> you know, until all this stuff happened last Monday and everything has happened before that. Uh, which which kind of took over my thoughts, but uh, from the time that we left, though, I I just I, if I closed my eyes, that's what I thought about. That's where I pictured myself, and and I just I can't wait to get back there. It was definitely an eye opening experience. I'm using that term. I I was I've been there before and had experiences there before, so to me it wasn't wasn't as new as it was to you mm-hmm. because that was your first time in the place. So I had that chair spin around in front of me, and I've had you know encounters in the basement, which Jeff actually wound up having. But um, I, I also did it. It also reinforced for me how careful I have to be when I'm dealing with this stuff, because I volun- inadvertently volunteered somebody into something, which I you know. I, I'm used to investigating with other people that have no problem with personal experiences right. dealing with ghosts. There was uh, a case when I was up on the third floor with one of the groups, and I said, you know, feel free to knock on the windows and open the door or, you know, this or that. I I made a blanket statement, or if you want, feel free to come up and touch any one of us. That was That was a mistake. I spoke about personal contact without getting permission from everybody that was there. And one poor girl got basically jumped into by a couple of what she says, a couple of spirits that were trying very, very adamantly to get a message out. She is not necessarily like a regular uh, psychic or medium. She said she's had, you know, things happen before in terms of visions and, and, and stuff like that. But, she calls herself like a closet psychic. You know, she she knows she has some sort of ability, but she says she's never had something like this happen, and she was unprepared for it. And you're and speaking I, of the woman who was there with the older gentleman? Yeah, with yeah, the lawyer. She was very, very shaken by it afterwards. She, she definitely was in a panic mode, and I went into EMT mode trying to basically help her out, and and she was very, very visibly shaken. And I felt responsible for that because I volunteered her in a sense without getting the permission. And you got to realize that's a responsibility that we all got to take here. And it, and I'll say that about about the Houghton Mansion, it definitely not not that we weren't already consciously aware of the fact that these people are kind of in our care, 
during these events, and we make everybody sign a waiver so if anything happens, it doesn't come back on us. But still, we want to make sure that they're safe and that they're protected. And it raised up a lot of flags that, you know, we're putting them in a situation where we can't guarantee that. And, you know, the things that we take for granted and that we want to have happen to us isn't the experience that everybody's signing up for. Right. We had one person that was in one of the groups that got uh, a reaction that she was, you know, fully aware could happen. Uh, She was accosted as well. But she did so knowing fully knowing there's right. a difference. So she's a seasoned investigator. She knows that these things happen. This poor girl was, you know, she was Pearl Harbor. Hmm. So uh, definitely, I mean, I can't wait to get back there. I don't know when we're going to have our next legend trips event there. We are working on a bunch of really cool stuff. And if you sign up for the mailing list on legendtrips.com, you'll get first crack at tickets to when we, uh, do have our next events, and I, I can tell you that Edaville is out of the picture. Oh, but maybe in the future they're they're doing some construction there. I can't can't really reveal right, everything that's going right, on, but right. it's going to be a much cooler park when all that stuff is done. Uh, we are working on we're working on a return to Fort Tabor. Excellent. And don't really want to let the cat out of the bag too much, but USS Salem. I was going to say, is there something nautical involved? Yes. So uh, we're just uh, nailing everything down with that. It looks like, I think we have a date, but Jeff's been out of town, so I haven't uh, followed up with him because he was setting that one up. And we're working on a few other things. I've actually, again, not to give uh, anything away, but uh, I've been made initial contact with your friend Tim. So we'll see where that leads. Okay. And uh, so definitely go to legendtrips.com, sign up for the mailing list because that is going to be your ticket in. You're going to get first crack at everything. Oh, and we're also definitely going to be doing another Dead of Summer event at Lizzie Borden's coming up in August as well. So that those, place always, yeah. yeah, it's always active and it always sells out in pre-sale. So you got to get on that list at legendtrips.com. So that about does it for this week's show. And I got to tell you, we've got some great things coming up uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to be having on Lisa Campion, who's a a psychic, but she's also an empath, and she's going to share with us about being an empath, uh, as well as giving some readings for the listeners. Uh, she was going to join us this week, but everything kind of happened. And then at the same time, she also fell ill. Uh, so we'll have her coming on sometime down the line. We're going to be having on uh, Tyrone E. Keys Jr., who wrote a new novel called Quantum Dawn. We're going to talk with him about the idea of alternate dimensions. And uh, we're going to be talking about black-eyed children coming up with david weatherly oh really so we'll just got to finalize everything with him as well and uh so again and also tonight if anybody follows us at twitter at spooky sc amy bruni of ghost hunters will be joining us in studio ah. some sometime soon so she asked when she can come in and co-host and i told her anytime you want why not yeah we're only right down the street. Absolutely. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Uh, again, if you want to follow along with us online throughout the course of the week, Twitter, at SpookySC, uh, myself, at Tim Weisberg, uh, and also Facebook.com slash SpookySouthCoast or Facebook.com slash the other Tim Weisberg. And Matt Moniz has a public page as well that you can follow along. So those those are the ways that you can keep up with us. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all. Rather than. I guess I can't run that. 
but <laughs> I was going to just run the closing theme song, but apparently the computer is not playing along. So I will stall for another minute. Uh, <laughs> and then I will remind everybody, too, that uh, we have the South Coast Toy and Comic Show coming up on May 19th. SouthCoastToyandComic.com to follow along with that. And also the Rhode Island Comic Con in November, RIComicCon.com to follow and along with that. Can I also plug something? Real quick. Experiencerspeak2.com. All right. When's that? Uh, that's going to be in September, September 8th, I believe. All right. So definitely we'll have, we'll have the twins on to talk about that yep. too. And uh, so until next week then, uh, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I am Tim Weisberg, and we do want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>